This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. This is an option which will add a little bit more to your retirement income where you are saving in a large plan with low fees, uh, more predictable returns, and a lifetime pension. Ontario's new pension plan was the centerpiece of Thursday's budget and could well become the cornerstone of the Liberals' re-election platform. We'll talk to CARP Susan Eng about the details and the politics. Plus, have you ever been in the hospital and overheard your doctor speaking in code about your condition? Hopefully you didn't hear the terms frequent flyer, yellow submarine, or FTD. Dr. Brian Goldman's new book shares physicians' secret language, and he'll fill us in later on. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. After more than 30 years as chair, Barrick Gold founder Peter Monk bid farewell to his company at this week's annual shareholders meeting. The 86-year-old says the time is right for him to step down as head of the world's largest gold producer. He spent decades building the company from a lone mine in northern Ontario into the world's largest gold producer. Monk actually started in the stereo business, building high-end equipment in the 50s, and went on to ventures in real estate and oil and gas. He came to Canada when his family escaped Hungary during the Second World War. He's also well-known as a philanthropist, contributing to many causes, including the Peter Monk Cardiac Centre at the Toronto General Hospital. A report out of the states highlights a growing trend that's good news for caregivers. According to the 2014 National Study of Employers released this week, more workplaces are demonstrating flexibility to accommodate employees with caregiving demands. 90% of the companies polled offer at least 12 weeks of leave for employees with ill family members. Many of them also offer access to resources and referrals. The study polled over 1,000 employers with 50 or more employees. They found that the companies most accommodating to caregivers are larger companies, nonprofits, and companies that employ lots of women. According to Stats Canada, about 8.1 million Canadians acted as caregivers in 2012. A Facebook app is trying to raise public awareness of dementia by demonstrating the effects of the disease. The Face Dementia app by Alzheimer's Research UK temporarily erases important memories from a Facebook profile. Users can watch their personal photos, contacts, friends, and status updates disappear before their eyes. This mimics what happens to a person's brain as dementia takes over and they start to lose their memories. He was a versatile character actor with Cockney charm who appeared in a range of roles. British actor Bob Hoskins died this week at the age of 71. 
Hoskins appeared in some of the most acclaimed British films of the past few decades, including the gangster classic The Long Good Friday. He also appeared in Mona Lisa, Steven Spielberg's Hook, and played a down-and-out detective dealing with a cartoon star and his sultry, animated wife in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Two years ago, Hoskins announced that he had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and was retiring from acting. Bob Hoskins died of pneumonia in hospital. I'm Louise Neimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I have lost confidence in Kathleen Wynne and her ability to deliver. I cannot in good conscience support a government that people don't trust anymore. I have just met with the Lieutenant Governor, and he has accepted my recommendation to dissolve the 40th Legislative Assembly of Ontario. On June the 12th, the people of the province will have a choice. It's the largest new social program in a generation and will certainly be a key issue in the upcoming Ontario election campaign. CARP was a driving force behind Ontario's new retirement pension plan. And I talked to Susan Eng to parse the details and the politics. There's a bit of a surprise that the NDP would not vote in favour of a pension plan that they themselves had actually proposed as part of their platform. So now they're disavowing one of their own uh, platforms. So I'm not sure what they're going to come out with in this election. What is your reaction to this plan as laid out in the Ontario budget? Well, it's very good. It is something that CARP members have been asking for all along. They, of course, talk about the CPP because nothing else was on the table, but this is mirrored and based on the CPP. So, of course, it's going to be mandatory contributions by employers and employees. It will increase access to a little bit more retirement income because of the savings, and it will also open up the opportunity for people who have more than $50,000 of income and up to $90,000. Okay, so let's go over how it's going to work. The employees and the employers will each pay 1.9% of the employee's salary into the fund, correct? That's right. And that's on top of the 4.9% that they're each paying now. And so the small amount extra that they're paying will uh, buy them 15% of their pre-retirement income uh, in retirement for the rest of their lives. And this is important. This is not just, you know, your savings and whatever you have at the end of your working career, that's what you have. This is actually a lifetime pension that is meant to be indexed against inflation. People who have $45,000 of income are covered under the CPP now, and they look at getting a pension of approximately $10,000 at the end of their working career in these, uh, you know, at current rates. With the additional 15%, they will get another $6,500 through the Ontario Retirement Pension Plan. So that is an additional coverage that gives them approximately 40% of the pre-retirement income. Now, uh, one of the complaints is for middle-income people that uh, it's hard to save enough, but they don't really get enough to uh, to sustain their standard of living. So. One of the elements of this pension plan is that if if you make a little more money, uh, you can put in some more. 
Well, yes. What's important here is that before this change, uh, you had some income replacement through the Canada Pension Plan, but nothing more, uh, unless you had a workplace pension, and two-thirds of working Canadians don't have that at all. So this is an option which will add a little bit more to your retirement income, where you are saving in a large plan with low fees, uh, more predictable returns, and a lifetime pension. Over and above that, you're still going to have to save some more. This won't be enough to retire on, but it's a huge step forward. If the federal government ever takes it up, uh, it can be rolled into CPP. Yes the province is going to factor it in so that they can, in fact, just roll it into the CPP. Remember that they have projected that this is going to start in 2017, provided they win the election, um, that it's going to take a couple of years to phase in. And if within that period of time, things change at the federal level so that they actually agree to a CPP increase, why then this would roll right in. Susan, this is obviously a very political thing in Ontario. It's the largest new social program in a generation, and it looks very likely to be the centerpiece of the liberal re-election platform. Progressive conservative leader Tim Hudak has called it a job killer and has said that if he gets in after the next election, he'll reverse it. So uh, how do you uh, react to all of that? Well, I think he would be making a mistake. Um, the, the fact remains that this issue is exceedingly popular among our members, definitely, but indeed anybody who's looking at retirement security. There's been five years of public awareness, if you will, of the need to better save for our own retirement, and this is one opportunity, practically the only opportunity on offer that provides an opportunity for people, and I would not recommend any politician stand in their way. That would be a mistake on his part. It grabs the attention of the people who vote the most, older Canadians. Okay. Susan Ng, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Have you ever been to a hospital and heard the doctors around you using complicated acronyms and speaking in code? You're not alone. In just a moment, Dr. Brian Goldman will help us decode the secret language of doctors. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Have you ever wondered what your doctors are really saying about you when they use terms you don't understand? Well, emergency physician and broadcaster Dr. Brian Goldman is taking us beyond code blue and stat. He stopped by our studios to decode the secret language of doctors. I actually went out thinking that I was going to be writing a lot about things like Code Blue and STAT. and, and That's the, what I was expecting. And there's some of that in the book. But what I found more intriguing was to pick up on the slang. And slang serves many purposes. One thing that it does is it unpacks a lot of information in a short phrase. Um, and, and the only thing is that it has other purposes as well. It can be a bonding kind of exercise for the people who learn what the secret handshake is. For me, it was, it was when I was a resident uh, in pediatrics and my senior resident at that time, knowing that it was my first night on call as a, as a physician, puts a hand on my shoulder and says, well, now, Brian, how many did you box last night? And I was shocked until I saw this big grin emerge from his face, like boxes and how many, how many 
did you children kill? did you kill last night? Right. Which is and 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 I must listen. I I, I think we all, we've all had the experience of feeling pleasure at being admitted into the secret club with the secret language. Some of it is darker because uh, some of those slang references or slang terms uh, actually show uh, disrespect to the patients. You know, uh, I think one was that a morbidly obese person with cirrhosis of the liver is a yellow submarine. And it's interesting. I would never use a phrase like that. I guess maybe I'm older and I'm now thinking of the experience of bringing my parents you know, my father passed away six months ago, and my mother. Sorry has to a, hear that. Thank you. My mother has advanced Alzheimer's, and and and, you know, you know, often we we talk. I, I like to talk about. I don't like to talk about, but I think I have to talk about an, an empathy gap that I've seen in healthcare. In the book, where you mention some subsets of patients that you think many doctors don't respect. Uh, Older people are pretty well at the top of the list, and one of the the slang terms was uh, RTD, refusal to die. Yeah, actually, it was FTD, failure to die. Failure to die. And, Sorry. and the guy who said it to me looked at me like I ought to know it. I've never heard that phrase before in my life. I would never use it. It's horrible. It was a shocking phrase when I heard it, and if I ever heard it, I would condemn it. But I would also pull somebody aside and say, "What do you mean by that phrase?" You see, I don't see slang as the disease. I see it as a symptom of something else. You mentioned bariatric patients, more, uh, patients who, who have a high BMI. This is much more of an issue in the United States where they have a much higher percentage of, of morbidly obese patients, bariatric patients. They have a frustration treating morbidly obese patients not because they don't like them but because they have a higher complication rate because they it, it takes much longer to operate on them they they remain in hospital much longer sometimes the culture of the hospital is to not have the right equipment to lift them stretchers that can bear the weight of somebody who weighs 5 or 600 pounds or a lift that can lift them up or a wheelchair and we need those they need those and and so sometimes the slang is a cry for help so there's some, but it also betrays disrespect for the person. It absolutely does. And one of the things that I would say is that when it comes to morbidly obese patients, this seems to be one of the last refuges where it's possible in hospital culture to find people to say things like, please don't break my chair to a morbidly obese patient. Some of the slang is directed against other doctors. <laughs> That's right. And their mistakes. Yeah. Jack Bauer uh, is slang for a physician who's been up for more than 24 hours because of the show 24. There, okay. there was something about emergency physicians. Oh, yes? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. They call us referologists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, you laughed. So, you know, yeah. I, and, and, you know, good slang makes you laugh. And, and you know, there is a misconception that all, that all emergency physicians do is refer patients. And that's, that's part of the thing. I'm trying – my plea is for empathy. And it's not just empathy for patients, which we talked about. Empathy for each other. That means walking a mile in each other's shoes. Sorry, a kilometer in each other's shoes. And being able to, to understand a little bit about what, what our colleagues are going through. And I think that would make things better as well. Anything else that we should know that you that, want to point out? That slang is unprofessional, that, that, it, that all hospitals these days have policies that say it is unprofessional to disparage patients. It is unprofessional to disparage colleagues. And so the fact that it happens tells me that simply telling people you shouldn't do it isn't the way to get rid of it. And that is, I think, the better way is to either create a culture with champions who 
emulate good behavior and also to address those issues that may be making people frustrated. You know, for example, we have a, a slang term. It's a bit amusing, but it is a bit disparaging, frequent flyer, referring mm -hmm. to a patient who returns again and again to the hospital. Now, if you're a frequent flyer for an airline, you're desirable. They want you. They want lots more like you, but not if you're a frequent flyer patient. And for a whole bunch of reasons. One of the reasons is that they, it, they, they symbolize failure, that if you keep coming back, that means that we haven't fixed you. And we and nobody likes to keep reconfronting failure. Well, some people do. Some of my colleagues do, and and they're special, but a lot of us don't. Well, it turns out that the problem isn't that they've come to the emergency department; it's that they don't have a better place to be. They're mm. not. They don't have access to good primary care, a family doctor, nurse practitioner, or an approach that prevents helps prevent problems. And if they did, then they wouldn't have to come. And fortunately, we're starting to see programs, pilot projects. That are that are that are that are they're taking care of that problem, and the end result is that they're better taken care of, and they don't come to the ER as often. That sounds good. That sounds good. Dr. Brian Goldman, thanks so much. You're welcome. The Secret Language of Doctors is published by Harper Collins. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. One of the great pop singers of the Zoomer generation just celebrated his 80th birthday. In just a moment, we'll return with the music of Frankie Valli. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Harry Potter actor Daniel Radcliffe stars in the 1996 black comedy The Cripple of Anishman. It's the poignant story of a disabled boy living on an island off Ireland in 1934. When a Hollywood crew lands on a neighboring island, Billy plots a misguided escape to America. The Cripple of Anishman is at the Court Theater on West 48th Street. In Washington, D.C., an almost complete Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton is being put together at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History. The T-Rex was found in 1988 in Montana. To London, England, where a tribute to the fashion world of Jean-Paul Gaultier is at the Barbican Art Gallery. It's the first major exhibition devoted to the unique vision of France's leading avant-garde designer. And it's Gallery Weekend in Berlin. About 50 galleries and private collections from all over that city stay open around the clock until Sunday night. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This weekend, Frankie Valli celebrated his 80th birthday. The pop vocalist is most famous for being the frontman of the Four Seasons. Their story has been retold through the hit stage musical Jersey Boys, and a film adaptation of the musical will hit the theaters this June. Over their career, the Four Seasons had dozens of songs that climbed up the Billboard charts. Right now, we'll travel back to 1962 to hear their first nationally released single and first number one hit. Here is Sherry. Come out tonight. Come, come, come out tonight. Sherry. 
That was The Four Seasons with Sherry. Lead vocalist Frankie Valli celebrated his 80th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zimmer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Next week, my guest Patricia Pearson will tackle one of life's biggest mysteries, what happens to us when we die. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Van Driel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.